Welcome to the High Road to Leadership. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and today I'm going solo and I've got something, I've got a lot to talk to you about, actually, and this episode applies to everybody. Certainly, this High Road to Leadership is focused on those who are developing their leadership skills and qualities for any number of applications, but this this podcast would be great for your kids. It's really great for anybody because it's about being positive in a negative world. It's overcoming the negativity bias. So you can expect to hear what the negativity bias is, what are the benefits for overcoming that and intentionally developing uh, a strong positive outlook. And we'll also talk about five steps of how to do that specifically. So in the next 25 minutes or so, I anticipate you're going to get some very applicable, relevant tips that are going to help you create a more positive life. Because, you know, we all know that negativity has a way of grabbing hold of you. And if you thought it was just you... I'll tell you that negativity bias is the universal tendency for bad emotions to affect us more strongly than good. Okay, so example, this is like when somebody criticizes you and yet in the same sent in the same paragraph in the same 10 minute conversation, they might have told you four things that are compliments that you were doing really well, we tend to walk away from that thinking about the criticism. That's, that is actually a human tendency. A simple way to put it is the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, but it's more like Teflon for positive experiences. That's called the negativity bias. So it does take, in my opinion, an intentional effort to overcome that. And certainly for leaders, there's a benefit because positivity is necessary for casting vision and moving forward. And hey, with the difficult times that all of us have been through, universally, I feel like everybody's looking for the map of what, how to move forward. We know there's no new normal. There's no, you know, going back to the way things were. So we have to map the future. And let me tell you, that's a whole lot more fun if you're positive. And of course, that brings me to a story. You know how I like to tell you stories. And really what got me thinking about this negativity bias recently was I, uh, somebody told me this story and it just stuck with me. So there was a young guy in in high school. This uh, took place as is real. He was lived in the Midwest. He was being raised by a single mom. He was in those high school years of just really struggling, hanging out with the wrong kids, didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. He was unmotivated. He wasn't getting good grades. And he got into his junior year and it was everybody was taking the SAT tests and he wasn't even going to take it because he thought, you know, I'm not going to college. There's no way I can't, you know, I'm not going to go to college. I'm not smart enough. There's not enough money and all the reasons why we tell ourselves we can't do things. But his mom really, really wanted him to take the SAT test. So, he finally gave in and decided just to do it. You know, what the heck, all of his friends were taking it as well. But when he got his score back, he 
scored a 1480 out of 1600. Okay. A 1480 on the SAT is remarkable for anybody. And everybody, his mom's first question was, did you cheat? You know, the natural thing a mom would ask, especially when your son's bringing home D's. And he said, well, no, he wanted to. He thought he should, but he couldn't figure out a way to do it, the way the room was structured and the testing was structured. So he didn't cheat. He said he assured her he didn't cheat. He assured his guidance counselor he didn't cheat. And you know what happened? Everybody started treating him differently. All of a sudden, this loser dude that was headed for nowhere was getting all this attention as knocking, you know, the score out of the park with the SAT test. So he got a scholarship to go to community college, and then he went on to Wichita State College, and and then he actually went from there to an Ivy League school. He just completely turned his life around. And and then from there, after graduating from an Ivy League school, he did go on to become a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, he owned a magazine empire. So then, what's the rest of the story? Well, 12 years later, after he'd been married and started his career, he gets a letter in the mail from Princeton, New Jersey. He didn't even open it. He was busy. He didn't take time to open his mail, but his wife opened it. And the letter told him that he was one of 13 people that had been sent the wrong SAT score when he was in high school. His actual score was 740, not 1,480. But you know what? It was too late. By then, he was already successful. What changed because of that mistake? What changed was his thinking and expectations of the possibilities and what he was capable of. And certainly, it also changed the expectations of his mentors and teachers as well. And, you know, we've heard these kind of stories related to children. But when you hear this kind of story related in a way that I I just, it really struck me. And I thought, my gosh, what could we do if we took the limits off of our thinking? What could we do if we started thinking about possibilities instead of obstacles? And that's why it was hearing this story that I started studying about the negativity bias. I knew it was real. I've studied neuroscience, but I wanted to understand why why do we tend to think negatively? And again, it's it goes back to the way we're designed. We have a brain that is trained to look for things that threaten our survival. It's part of our survival instinct. It goes back thousands of years, okay? When in our brain, the amygdala is tasked with looking for bad news, looking for things that are dangerous. It's like an alarm bell in our brain saying, watch out, danger's at the door. But 
the trouble is our brain does such a good job at giving us these alarms of bad news and things to be fearful of and things to worry about and things to be anxious about. And, and what happens is that begins to dominate. And you know what they say that you cannot build a positive life with negative thinking. And, and so we've got to learn to overcome this. And, and, you know, here's the great news. There's a field, a whole field of study now. Actually, we started showing up in universities and colleges all over the land in the 19, in the late 1990s of positive psychology. And so now we've got you know, scores and scores of psychologists that are studying how can we be more positive. And this gets exciting. I want to give you a couple of uh, statistics about why we would want to invest the time, as if you don't already know. But here are some really good reasons why we should be intentional <laughs> about developing more positivity. Let's start with one that happiness makes us better citizens. It is a good predictor of civic engagement and in the transition to adulthood. That is a study done in 2018. I'm not going to read you all of the uh, study participants because this would get long. Another one, money can only buy happiness up to a point. And that point, they've measured it, is about $75,000 a year. After that, it has no significant effect on emotional well-being. That was a 2010 study done by Kahneman and Deaton. So if you are using that excuse that all I need to be happy, all I need to be positive is to get my money problems taken care of, think again. That's not true. How about this one? Pursuing happiness through social means, as in spending more time with family and friends, is more likely to be effective than other methods. This is a study done in 2018. Now, this goes along with what I always tell people, that the quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. Here's another. Happiness and job performance are related, and the relationship likely works in both directions, as in happy people do a better job, and people who do a good job are more likely to be happy. Also, here's another uh, career-wise one. A study by psychologist Susan Segestrom found that 10 years after graduation, law students who were optimistic earned an average of $32,667 more than their pessimistic peers. And the last one, I could go on and on because there's so much research and I just love it. But the last one I'll share is that happiness is contagious. When we spend time around happy people, and you could put in the term positive people, we're likely to get a boost of happiness and positivity ourselves. And that was a couple studies I could cite uh, in 2016, Florentine uh, published one in 2015, Newman had published, published one. So... Here's the good news. We can retrain the brain to scan for good things in life. And I love it. You know, this episode is following my interview with Dr. Deb Williams, who talked about neuroplasticity and the fact that 
you know, now what we know about changing IQ, about being able to learn new things, about being able to lay now lay down new new neural pathways in the brain. If you didn't catch that episode, you can go back and listen to it because this, what I'm teaching you about retraining your brain to scan for the good things, to to dwell on the good things, that goes right along with what Dr. Deb taught us in that last episode. It's just very exciting about some of the things I'm going to share with you, five things now that can actually be practical steps to help you build more positivity in your life. And the first one is the case for kindness. Self-care has become quite a hot topic, you know, through the pandemic and now as we are pulling out of it and Uh, We know that mental health issues have come to the forefront because they became a very uh, real problem for so many people that in in that period of isolation, another another confirmation that we really need one another. But as 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 important is as self-care is, I want to tell you today that caring for others and doing acts of kindness is actually proven to be one of the most effective ways to lead yourself into a better place mentally and emotionally. They found, the social studies found that physically doing things like uh, taking food to people who are shut in or working in a shelter or giving to a uh, cause, giving to a charity. Those physical acts of kindness were extremely, are, not were, in the research studies that showed they were, but for you and me, they are extremely strategic things that we can do. And, you know, you've always Surely my mom was not the only one that said, you know, don't feel sorry for yourself. Go, There's always somebody worse off than you. Go help them. And when you're not feeling too great, that's not always, it doesn't go over real well. But it's true. If we get up out of our doldrums and go help somebody that needs help, it's amazing what it can do for you. So that's the first way to shift your bias is the case for kindness. The second thing I want to talk about is the case for laughter. Now, gosh, Norman Cousins wrote a book decades ago about uh, overcoming illness through laughter and humor. You know, that was one of the first big breakthroughs we had of really knowing that that ancient proverb that says laughter is good medicine is not just an ancient proverb. It's current good wisdom. I think that this case for laughter is probably one of the reasons why videos about cats and laughing babies are so popular on social media, because we all need those things that make us laugh. But here's an interesting fact that you might want to consider as well, and that is that even anticipating doing something fun that will make you laugh, even thinking about that in your schedule, it can help you days in advance of actually doing it. And that's kind of goes along with the the studies about we all need something to look forward to because it's that pull of the future that is very strong. And this is true in the case of humor and laughter and positivity. So that number two is the case for laughter. The third thing that I want to talk about is the 
you know, a lot of people talk about meditation, but Dan Siegel did some research on the how to increase the retention of positive thoughts. Remember, I used that expression that the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, but more like Teflon for positive ones. Okay, so Dr. Siegel came up with a specific exercise, and here it is, where you get a positive thought. You know, it might be um, a good memory. It might be one of your favorite things you like to do. It might be a scripture or a quote that means a lot to you. But hang on to that positive thought for 20 seconds or so. You can measure it by its three or four breaths while you focus your thinking on that positive thing. And the research shows that helps the retention of positive thoughts. So consciously developing your own bank, so to speak, of positive things. This is what people who are seen as optimistic and positive may do it more naturally than others. But hey, remember, I'm talking to you about the neuroplasticity of the brain. Anybody can choose to learn this. So meditating on positive thoughts is number three. Number four with techniques that can be very effective for you is watching the is limiting the impact and limiting the input of negativity, specifically in the form of news. Now, don't get me wrong. I like to be very well informed. I like to know what's going on, current events. I need to know about a certain number of things. But have you noticed that people that have a constant running of the news in their homes or, you know, they're constantly checking for how bad things are, that is a very dangerous place to live as far as you're not going to be able to pull out of that very easily. Because here's the fact, the Losada line teaches that it takes about 3.2 positive comments to overcome one negative one. Well, Actually, that's just to maintain status quo. That's not to thrive. Negativity will let you survive, but we want to thrive. To thrive, it takes five positive thoughts for one negative thought. Again, 3.2 to just be at status quo, but I don't want to really live at mediocre. I don't want to live at status quo and to and to go higher and to be strong and positive and optimistic, uh, five to one. So how much news can you afford to dwell upon? That's my question for you today. I think getting strategic about, and, you know, just being very efficient about the way you stay informed and keep current is as a lot better than just exposing yourself to a steady diet of bad news. Because, hey, you know, the news media is fear based. And, you know, we could, we're not going to digress and get into a conversation about that. Probably need to have another journalist on. I did talk with uh, Kathleen Koch. Uh, back on one of the early episodes, and that's a good one to listen to as well. But anyway, uh, the fifth thing, let's go ahead to the fifth strategic thing that you can do, and that is to spend 
time in nature. I love it. The Japanese have a term called forest bathing. I love it. And that is referring to allowing yourself time in nature. Now, I'm going to give you a couple more studies, as you know. I like the research that backs backs what I'm telling you, so you know it's just not opinion. Uh, But there was a study done uh, at Berkeley with PTSD, uh, veterans suffering from PTSD, and also they used... uh, young people, youth that were coming out of very difficult lives. And they used whitewater rafting to test and track how to increase six emotions. They worked on awe, amusement, contentment, gratitude, joy, and pride. And what is absolutely fascinating about the work that they did at Berkeley in these studies is they found in order to feel less stressed and more healed, the emotion that was necessary was awe. Awe was the predictor of helping people get healthy. Now, think about that, awe and wonder. That's why the Japanese talk about forest bathing. I have a friend who calls it glory soaking, going to God's creation and 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 just enjoying the healing uh, energy that really comes from being out in trees. And I could go on and on about the studies. There was a fascinating one about hospital patients that had a view of a brick wall versus trees, uh, the people that could see trees healed better. So I'll ask you that today. When was the last time you allowed yourself? In fact, not only allowed yourself, but prescribed for yourself a walk in a beautiful place. There is really power in that. It is a way to increase positivity in your life. So those are five things that can help you very specifically in order to develop a more positive brain. I love this subject and I'm going to I'm going to bring it to a close today. I do want to invite you uh, to visit my blog beverlyspeaks.com is my website and I have a lot of posts about happiness and the psychology of happiness. I've been preaching on this if you'll allow that word for years and years because all of us want to be around people that make us feel good. And and leaders have to be realists for sure. I like to call myself an optimistic realist because I know, you know, that we have to look for what's wrong. We have to look for problems. We have to be solution-minded. But developing a positive brain is a it's not only healthy, but it's really fun. And it can help every every aspect of your life, your relationships, your blood pressure, your heart rate, all of those things. And here's the thing, when you choose optimism or negativity, you are not denying the pain that's in the world. You are refusing to let it get the best of you. I hope you'll think about that. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to have feedback from you. You can always email me at Beverly at BeverlySpeaks.com. And I'll leave you with a thought I always do. 
the best is yet to come.